0: Welcome to Cancer Out Loud, the Cancer Care Podcast, a show featuring conversations with people living with cancer, caregivers, survivors, loved ones, and the bereaved. Hosted by oncology social workers, Cancer Out Loud takes a closer look at the cancer experience using the power of storytelling. For those that are familiar with us we are now bringing a fresh approach embracing a new format that allows us to dive deeper into the world of cancer one episode at a time instead of seasons we're introducing numbered episodes each offering a unique perspective expert insights and personal narratives that will educate uplift and empower whether you are a patient survivor caregiver someone that lost a loved one, or someone hoping to find inspiration, Cancer Out Loud is your sanctuary, a place to find hope, understanding, and a sense of community. This podcast is produced by Cancer Care, the leading national nonprofit organization providing free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. Welcome back to Cancer Out Loud, the Cancer Care Podcast. Over the next few episodes, you will hear different stories and perspectives of grief and loss. While each person's grief experience is different, we hope that common themes will decrease feelings of isolation and foster new feelings of hope. In part one of this episode, we hear from Lucia, an oncology social worker at Cancer Care, along with two former members of her bereavement group. Join us as we embark on a journey of understanding, healing, and renewed hope in the face of grief and loss.
1: Hi, my name is Lucia Fangula, and I'm an oncology social worker at Cancer Care. I am here with two of our group members, our bereavement group members, Mary and Susan, and so I would like to turn it over to them to introduce themselves.
2: Hi, my name is Susan. I was with three of the bereavement groups and I'm here uh, because I lost my husband close to two years ago and actually had a very good experience with cancer care uh, 25 years ago when my mother passed. So I I immediately came back to this group thinking that this was going to help and guide me through um, grief. And it has.
3: Good morning, my name is Mary. Um, I have been with Cancer Care since June of 2021 after losing my husband of 35 years in January of 2021. I was first introduced to Cancer Care from a Cancer Care therapist where I did some one-on-one grief counseling. She was wonderful and introduced me to the group. So after joining the group, I got to be with some wonderful people sharing the same journey, which was a heartwarming experience for me to know that I was not alone in this path. So from this, I've grown tremendously. I've learned a whole lot about grief and how people deal with grief. And met some really wonderful people along the way um, that we get to see socially uh, from time to time
1: so why don't you tell me why you came to cancer care tell me about your husband tell me all about your loss
2: um i lost doug um two years ago in in june so uh, right after that happened it was three months of you know seeing someone through jansen and I realized that I needed more of a group setting. I felt that that was somebody something to that would benefit me, and what I, why I chose a group was because I really felt that with grief it was so misunderstood in our society, and especially never have lost anyone. I mean, I lost my parents, but losing a spouse is so different. And I think I was so um, untethered and, you know, and I think I was unaware of how much of an impact it made to my my life. I mean, I really thought that, all right, I know how to do this. You know, I lost my mother, who I was very close to when I was 32. And I thought, I know how to handle this. I'm going to check a box. I'm going to do all these things. And then all of a sudden what happened was I have a new identity. Like it's not just losing parent, it's your identity, it's your future, it's what you had planned and all of a sudden a lot of people say, oh, you know, you're closing a chapter and I kept on thinking, no, I'm closing a book. This is a book, I have to reinvent an entire book. Um, so coming to a group, I felt I need to talk to be around people that really understand and understand my language, my new language. Um, friends who are always supportive that are in our lives Don't really understand the depth of your pain because you don't understand it. It comes and you read books about, oh, you're going to go through stages, and there are no stages. There are waves. And I really had to understand what those waves look like and how I was going to get to the other side of it is not the right word, but how I was going to float with them. And it was all about the group helping me learn how to float. There could be a nine foot wave, it could be a two-foot wave, but somehow the group always was able to say, I understand. Actually I had this happen a month ago. And then you saw, well, they're still standing. So I think I'm going to be able to stand.
3: I think for me, um, joining the group was beneficial because you do feel very much alone in your journey. And while you're supported by, you know, wonderful family and friends, that provide all the love in their hearts. It's not quite the same thing as walking the path alone, especially when you've been you know, married to a person for the majority of your life, that now you face that path on your own and the journey alone. So um, having the group totally understand the path, um, was so incredibly helpful. And what I found most heartwarming was how close we bonded and how much we completely opened ourselves um, and poured out our feelings of not only grief, but this horrible path of watching our loved one deteriorate before our eyes. Um, I think for me, that was difficult. And was comforted to know that it was just as difficult for each and every member of the group. Now, I lost my you know father when I was very young. I lost my mom about eleven years ago. I I lost my brother um, several years back, and that was devastating. It was devastating to, to one lose your parents and your sibling. Um, the loss you know of a spouse is. Quite different. Um, again, as Susan alluded to, I mean, this is your partner. You know, this is the person that has been with you through good times and bad. Um, and so it's the most difficult thing to have that person no longer by your side because now you're on your own and you need to find your way and find your person, find yourself and move forward. Um, Now, the thing is that you're never gonna get better. It's never going to get easier, but you will start to feel at some point more accepting and a little bit lighter.
1: Can you tell me a little about what surprised you at the beginning of this process or what you would want people who are just starting this process to know? I think for me,
2: what surprised me, there were several things. One was how, um, and again, this is the first year versus get, you know getting into the second year, but the first year was how much in the beginning people really rallied around you and how that really quickly faded. Um, and how uh, people in your, and these are people that are in your core group, how, because your status has sort of changed, you're no longer a couple, um, even though they're still your friends, how the dynamics have changed, how now my, you might only see the wife, you don't see the wife with the husband, you're not included in dinner parties, your whole situation, I don't think I was prepared or even thought that, I, I mean, certainly... You know, Doug was sick for seven years and very sick the last year. And those were not things I was worried about. So when it happened, I was like, wow, this is really, I guess I'm totally a new person, whatever that means. And I haven't been this person since I was 21. I mean, I was married most of my life. And certainly Doug knew me right from the beginning of my, you know, young adulthood. Um, So people peeling off was kind of shocking to me um also how things that i didn't realize was how spacey it became like i really didn't remember things and how i would say to anybody it is so important to write everything down and also something i learned and i'm still learning cuz i'm still not doing it well was to slow down um that's really key i mean if you have to make a decision because you have to make a decision for example if you you know you can't afford with your rent and you need to make a move then so be it um, but I found that there were so many things that um, I was hurrying up and doing that looking back, those things didn't need to be done and some things did need to be done. Um, there were many things I didn't realize that had to be done um, as far as you know, financial, um, you know, the certain things that you have to do after someone passes and the estate tax, all of that. I mean, I'm still doing that. Um, so I think when that happens to someone is... You know, if you're not, if you're the most, I, I don't think I was prepared and I think I was in a fog even when Doug was in hospice, that if I'm looking back and I was guiding a friend doing this um, is to say, you know, as painful as is, make sure your affairs are in order. Make sure you're, you know, that you're on everyone's name and you know, passwords and all those things that you don't think you need to know. Um, and then, like I said, to, to wrap it up is to just slow down, um, really it's 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 a path and there are things that as I said need to get done because of whatever, you know, financial government, things that are have deadlines. But there are many things that don't have the deadline and there are no shoulds. I mean people will give you great advice. You should move to Florida, you should sell your house, why are you in this big house? Where are you going? What do you you should take up knitting? There are no shoulds. And that was really hard for me because I do like a roadmap in my life. And I was very much like, well, I want this, I need to know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And it was oh it's okay to give yourself some time and grace to feel those feelings and to stop with the shoulds and to stop listening to the noise of everyone else's opinion because they don't know because your person is very different than your friend who went through losing a cat 10 years ago. By the way, they always do those analogies. Well, I lost my, I'm like, that's really great. I'm really sad for you, but this is something a little different. So it's really about releasing all that extra noise that happens. And that was very hard for me because I was very much into like listening to everybody.
3: I think the first year, um, probably for most of us was total autopilot. Um, I know for me in particular, I just went through the motions. I kept extremely busy um, with things that I needed to attend to. Uh, As most of my group knew, I moved. I I was in a place that I I was just too sad to continue living at. And a friend told me about an opportunity uh, in my neighborhood, which, you know, I really enjoy being in my neighborhood. I find comfort in it. Um, So when that opportunity to move came up, I was like, no, 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 no. It's only been like two months. I can't do this. People had told me, don't make any big decisions, don't make any changes. So when I took a look, I felt that there were a couple of signs for this new place, (laughs) which kind of make me smile when I think that number one, something came up, when it came up, that I happened to coincidentally know my landlords and number three, um, they're Irish. So, (laughs) so I said, somebody is communicating something to me, even though I'm the biggest skeptic and non-believer of signs. Um, I've come around to realize that sometimes there are signs and instead of fighting them, I need to go with them anyway. Um, I think that after the one year anniversary, it gets worse. You know, people say, oh, you know, once you get through the first year, you know, you'll you'll be again using that word better. Um, But that's not what happens. I think what happens is that reality sets in and the one year is over and you've busied yourself the past year attending to things like the finances and the insurance and um, everything else, you know, f- for me, it was something because I moved, I immediately got rid of all the clothes and I know that's difficult for many people and I understand that, but this is a unique journey for each one of us. And so I think that people, uh, move at their own pace, um, in attending to things. So, you know, anyway, for me, um, after that one year anniversary, then it was like, okay, this is real. And I think the thing I struggle with probably the most is that people stop talking about my husband because they don't want to make me sad. Well, folks, (laughs) the sadness is always there. So it actually pleases me to hear people talk about my husband because then at least I know his legacy um, lives on. So I embrace it. It makes me laugh. And I'm thankful for when people do talk about him.
1: We talk in group a lot about how grief is both an emotional, but also a physical process. Can you guys talk a little about how grief and how the loss affected you physically?
2: That was a surprise to me because I remember um, when I re- refer back to my mother, cause that was a, probably a big loss It's more, those so when my dad died when I was younger, but it was a physical pain in my stomach. But, you know, I remember it getting, you know, over, I was over it, like that physical after a year. Um, but I remember when Doug passed, um, it was like, I couldn't even, feel comfortable going in the shower by myself. And of course I showered by myself, but it was like very lonely and I felt physically in pain. And I guess that surprised me was the actual, like the emotional part was, you know, that, you know, crying and and being afraid that you were going to be eaten up and all of a sudden not, not be able to get up. That's that fear of if I start to cry, I'm never going to stop. Like is, I mean, maybe I, so I don't want to touch it. It's a hot oven. I don't want to go there. And let's stay busy, 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 and running away from it and not, again, not slowing down to say, let me just sit with this. Because when you sit with it, the crying is one thing, but the physical pain that happens. um, We have a, a, you know, a place where my husband loved up at a lake. And I remember uh, that summer I had to go check on the house. I mean, I still can't sleep there by myself, um, but I had to literally run in, check things and run out and have have plans right after because I was so freaked out about, about being there. And now I can go there and spend the day. I think I'll probably be able to spend a night there this summer, um, but I don't think you're you're prepared for how every part of your body reacts to and feels physically sick. When you hear a song on the radio, um, and even physical touch. I had a massage maybe a few months after Doug died, my kids gave it to me, and I laid on the table and cried. I couldn't imagine. I cried because I was getting a massage. So there's a definite physical and emotional component to the loss.
3: absolutely so what i found well (laughs) i lost some weight after frank passed but i think i was losing it all along as i'm watching him slowly slip away from me um but i also found that i wasn't bothered so much by taking a shower it was the frequency with which i took it and I was surprised to hear that many members of the group experience the same thing. So it's like, okay, I need to take a shower today. Well, maybe I can wait till tomorrow. <laughs> um, so that's unlike me. But uh, but that was that was a result. End result. Um, I was a bit fearful um, sleeping alone at night. It wasn't quite as bad because, you know, for the past two years of his life, you know, Frank pretty much slept on the sofa um, because he wasn't able to go up the stairs into the bedroom. So it was the loneliness of not having him by my side um, but knowing that he was downstairs. And then the pure loneliness after he passed that he was never going to be by my side again. Um, It's just really overwhelming at times that you can be so completely sad and have, have difficulty with your sadness. The good thing, or the positive thing, I should say, is that I never not got up in the morning. So the routine to me was most important because that's what I wanted, but Frank would have wanted that too. So I continued to get up every morning, go out walking every morning. Um, (laughs) Probably one of the craziest things I did was started wearing ear pods and singing loudly on my walks. I never sang, Frank sang all the time, and I'd, I'd bristle when he sang, like, loudly, <laughs> and I learned to do the same thing, and I'm not sure where else that came from if it hadn't been from him. I also have found over time that I have uh, picked up a few of his personality traits, um, which He could be very abrasive at times, and anybody that knew him knows that. And I've had like a friend or two say, Wow, where did that come from? Because I'm usually like the quieter, milder one. And I said, I guess the man has rubbed off on me a bit. So um, I actually do embrace that.
1: You know, we also in group talk a lot about sort of feeling tired, feeling forgetful, feeling antisocial, feeling isolated. Can you talk a little, if you can, about what that was like and how, if, and how that has changed over the past 12 months or so?
2: I would say that um, as far as the tiredness um, you know, I, I'm very much like Mary in that I never stopped my routine. I mean, I worked, I was even working when Doug was at the funeral home because I was like, I need, to be, you know, I need to keep my mind busy. So I was never that person to like, I need time to, I didn't give myself. So keeping a routine was always my thing and it kept me personally sane. That was my way to cope. Um, so tiredness was definitely part of it where, you know, I'd hit a wall and I would just, you know, need to, to sleep. I think the tiredness is still there only because my sleep pattern has changed. Um, I've never been a great sleeper, but I find myself now waking up at five o'clock in the morning and needing to push myself to go back. Or in the first year was a lot of getting up at two and like not going back to bed because it was just like your mind is going so much so fast. What do I need to do? And how do I do this? And I don't know how to do this. I've got to talk to the contractor. So you're always like thinking, um, Mary was talking about weight loss, I weight gained. (laughs) So I think part of it was me eating, you know, every time I had a feeling like, oh my gosh, well, I'm just going to go eat something because I don't want to go there. And so that's been kind of a a drag and um, dealing with that. Um, The other part, it really goes back to me, I having to write everything down or not remembering things at all and thinking, talking to my primary doctor during a physical and say, I think I need to be checked out because I think I'm really having early signs of something. Just like, well, you lost your husband. It's okay. So having a doctor that understood that helped and not all of a sudden going directly to drugs was always positive. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it, 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 it changes. It, it does. Like, I think I'm a little bit getting on the other side of it. Like, I think I'm a little bit more finding myself more resilient to having those feelings of being tired and it's now now down to how do I cope with the loneliness? I think loneliness is something that, you know, we're only starting to talk about now in the world and it's a real thing. Um, And I think it affects you physically and emotionally as to be lonely. So that part and now going into second year is trying to figure out where you know, kind of what Mary that kind of like, and I hate use this work is overused too much, but purpose, like, where do you fit in? Like, where is this thing? And it all goes to with loneliness. The tiredness part, you know, I, I found myself accepting invitations to go, you know, I went to weddings and I did all that. But One thing I do really well right now is accept most of the things and leave early. Like I have no problem with leaving early. I just quietly leave And I've done this a couple of times that the day of, if I really don't want to do something, I don't do it. And that's so not like me, but I've given myself again, grace to do things a little differently. And that's how I function right now is like accept things, but know that at the time I may not end up doing it, but try to accept most of the things.
3: I I agree. I think that it's important to accept invitations. Um, I think that sometimes it's easier to just back out and be in the comfort of your home. You do you do get used to being alone, and even though the loneliness is difficult, um, again, sometimes it's a better fallback than facing people. I don't want to see people with you know the puppy eyes feeling sorry for me. That's not what this is about. It's embracing the fact that, you know, F- Frank is gone and and remembering him. Um one of the things that I found most most challenging is that Frank was the cook in the family. Um I started out that way, but It didn't last long. And anybody that knows him knows what a great cookie was. So uh, that for me was was a difficult part is knowing that I'm never going to be like him. I have no desire to. So you you kind of find, you know, find your your way. You find your path. Um, Another difficult thing uh, for me was sleep. My sleeping pattern has changed completely. So I, I too will wake up either early in the morning, um, you know, two, three o'clock and have a really tough time going back to sleep or wake up early and just get up. So I don't know that that will ever change. I mean, that, that can be a function of age. It could be, you know, a function of a multitude of things, um, but that's probably one of the more unsettling things not to be able to go in and get a good night's sleep. The other thing for me is that I was an avid reader. I mean, avid. So on a weekend, you know, I work full time, but on a weekend I would spend literally the better part of a day reading a book. I haven't picked up a book since Frank has passed, although I've got quite a stack of them ready to be read. So I'm hoping to get back to my love of reading. I keep saying that, but I still haven't picked up a book. So I keep telling myself that you're going to start and read through a couple of pages. I, I was able to read a number of the grief, you know, the grief books um, I may not have gotten all the way through. I found the passages that Lucia shared with us throughout our grief counseling to be most helpful, and I have since shared many of them, especially you know, the rules of mourning. Um, thought that was very important uh, f- to share with people that are, that are going down this path. And I think if anything else, we have the sensitivity now to know what not to say and perhaps to know what to say to people um, that are going down the same path um, that I know I won't ignore somebody because I know that they need the love and support of others.
2: I love you brought up the reading, by the way. I forgot, totally forgot uh-huh. about that. I was in a book club. I'm in publishing, and I, haven't, I have to pick up a book now because we're running an author thing in two weeks, and I'm this much into it, like five pages into it. I'm like, uh-huh. I need to finish this book. And I felt the same way. That was shocking that I literally, the only thing I could read, and I read a lot, was all about the grief books. I yes. ate those up. Because I was like, okay, well, they'll have the answer. I, they'll, they'll know how to get out of this and fix me. No, it's just, a, it's a good read. but And it's helpful. But the reading is shocking. And this is two years in that I have not, I used to sit the same with Mary, that Doug would go off and play golf. And I would be happy as a clam to sit home and read all day. And it just hasn't come back yet, surprisingly.
1: You both mentioned the loss of identity, right? That feeling of who am I now? Can you talk about like the specifics of what that meant for you?
2: I think because I married uh, relatively young and uh, Doug and I were married 38 years, that the identity that I had was wife, mother, partner, and that's how society saw me. That's how I portrayed myself. You know, when I spoke to someone, oh, I'm I'm a wife, or I'm a mother, or I'm both. Um, I don't like the word widow, so I have a re- I really cringe with that. So the identity is now that. You know, you're single, which I think that's an awful word too, because I felt single is like single when you're 21 and going to bars. Well, I'm not single when i going to bars. So the identity is like, it's it's change. It's, it's now you're on your own. Um, you know, what comes with that is every decision begins and stops with you. You have an incredible amount of freedom and responsibility, the same coin. Um, and that is new because as a partner, you had someone to always think about, oh, well, are we going to go to Florida? Or are we not going to go to Florida? Or are we, do you want to go on vacation? What do you want to do with these finances? Are we going to buy this? And now that whole other side of you has ended and you are now this person standing on two feet, you know, and alone and how you show yourself in this in public too is really important. you know just like Mary mentioned you I, I cringe when people feel that they need to take care of me um, I love talking about Doug. I do not like when someone looks at me and looks like they're you know going to cry. and I'm still telling people that Doug passed because there are some people I haven't seen for a while. So again that identity is like I'm not I'm not in this world a married person anymore. And I was a married person for most of my life. So that's changed. And it's been hard to wrap my head around that um, on many levels. Um, So I think, you know, that's part of like the first year is sharing that and getting everyone to, when you, when you see people for the first time in the first year, saying that over, I've lost my husband. And literally Again, I'm still saying that now because I haven't seen the plumber for two years. And it's like, oh, I can't believe Doug died. And so it's hard to wrap your head around that. And also how I said, I mentioned that before, how other friends, other couples see you. Some not, you know, not being included any longer in those couple things and some still wanting to, like I said, take care of you. I had one person, just to wrap this up, um, I was at something a year ago, and the two women were talking, they're both friends, and they're like, oh, well, you know, will you will you take Susan home? Do You'll, you'll take care of her? And I looked, I'm like, I'm right here. Um, I can take care of myself, as a matter of fact, you know, like, but it, you don't want to get sarcastic, but in your mind, you're like, I don't need to be taken care of. And I still have friends who were like saying, oh, you know, I meant to call you it's almost like they're checking a box at this point. And you know you know they're all doing it and you know they love you and they're good people. But I just go back to what Mary, that people just don't know how to, where to put you in society because quite frankly, you don't know where to put you in society. So you're not yet comfortable in this new skin so you can't expect them to be comfortable in where you fit in. So you're just doing the best you can to you know, show that you're confident and you've got it handled. And the reality is that's in your heart You're not that yet there. You're not, but you're going to act as if, so that maybe your body will catch up with it and maybe other people will see you that way.
3: I agree with that. But there are some very difficult firsts. The first one was filling out a form. I don't even remember what the form was. And the form asked what my marital status was or something to that effect, you know. And it's like the first time that... I checked widow, I think that my hand shook because I had to check that box. The other thing, which was really horrific, was I had, I had to go to ER um, one time, kind of soon after Frank passed. Um, and they asked me for my emergency contact. Like, oh, oh. And, you know, I'm sitting there sobbing I don't know who my emergency contact is, um, so those were, you know, those were extremely difficult, you know, for me.
2: We, Doug and I had a very traditional marriage. Um, we have five children, and uh, we both work. And I really did know where the dentist was. the The he never even knew. Like, and he did all of the finances. Um, he was able to, uh, he was an engineer, but worked with a contractor to build us two homes, like did all of that. I didn't even know the plumber. It was like, literally, I did that. And my job was full-time with five kids, making sure they got to places, hiring a nanny, doing all that, and inducted to the everything else. So, and also in my business, he actually was the finance person too. So, I mean, I don't even, I was not even balancing a checkbook as far as that. So the idea that um, I had to learn that, And I've really come a a long way, you know, two floods in my house, you know, it was, it was like Mary knows this. We always talk about this, that I don't know whether it's, you know, a sign or like, I do believe in signs, but it's just like the minute Doug passed away, if there hasn't been a week in two years, I haven't dealt with minor things and major things. Like literally the kids are like, mom, this is like so weird. Um, But it's always something. And you find that because things were so divided, that at the end of the day, you know how to do things. You're surprised at how smart you are. And I think one of the things though that I've tried to give myself grace on is that when you do make a mistake, and you will make mistakes, and I have hired the wrong people, I have made wrong financial decisions, I have gone, ouch, I can't believe I let my house taxes blasted through them, I forgot to pay them, like, and that's not a good thing. there are going to be things that you don't know how to do and you will learn it and you have to give yourself a little grace and patience that this is a new skill. You will know it and you will get better, but right now you have to be okay with making the mistakes. And again, I go back to writing everything down. I have a portfolio now of every single person, plumber, the garage door guy, everybody, phone numbers, And I've hired some people new that Doug used. you know. And again, it's making your own way and realizing that and having the confidence that even though you don't have confidence, act as if you have confidence, because you'll catch up to that and be amazed when you do look back on what you've accomplished. And giving yourself credit for that. I don't think we do enough of that. I think we're really very okay about beating ourselves up on all the mistakes we've made in the two years, or at least I have. i cannot believe i did that well i can believe i did that and it's okay but i won't do that in five years i will never do that again and and also ask for help that is the worst thing i i never ask for help i'm a really horrible person because i could do it myself and god forbid i ask for someone to take me pick me up from a procedure that i've had because it's like well i'd rather uber home no people want to help you because you're the kind of person that helps other people they want to help you. you're going to make your friends feel good that way and it's okay to ask for someone about an opinion. Doesn't What would you do here? What, so I think educating yourself and asking for help are two really important things as you take on this new role of your other half of your person, whatever that person was and of whatever they did.
3: Well, I totally agree with the asking for help. Um, maybe you consider me stubborn. I am a bit stubborn. I am my mother's daughter, and she was pretty stubborn. She raised four children um, as a widow at 44. So, I mean, I think that kind of passes down. Um, but boy, the asking for help is an extremely difficult one, and kind of beating up on yourself is another one that was that was really tough. The division of labor. Um, it. it In some respects, it wasn't as difficult because I handled our finances. But when it came to our savings, our portfolio, that wasn't me at all. I didn't have the time, the desire, the wherewithal to do that. So I let things just sit for a year and earn absolutely nothing. And then I had to shake myself off and say, You've got to take care of this. You've got to do something, and you may not have the wherewithal to control, you know, every movement of every stock and bond in a portfolio. But you need help um, going to, you know, the proper experts. When it came to the physical things, the manual labor, boy, I was not, <laughs> I was not prepared for that because uh, Frank handled everything, so when I found something as simple as the garbage bag was opened by a something during the middle of the night and I had to you know, dump it out and clean it. And believe me, there were a lot of expletives in the cleanup process that really, I have to do this? I don't wanna do it. And especially things having to deal do with the house. So, you know, because we lived in Florida f- for 12 years, and still kept the house I didn't know I didn't know when we had our hot water heater replaced at all and I walked around that garage with things that I didn't even know what they were for or what they were used for and thought to myself oh my goodness how how did we amass all this stuff that I have no use for that I will never pick up because I'm just not that person. I'm not handy. I'm never going to be handy, and I have no desire to learn to be handy now. So I think that was really tough. And listen, you know, I've got I've got single friends and family, and I, you know, I I applaud them. Um, and I I wonder if at some point in time, this will just be secondhand, you know, to all of us. Um, it's the kicking and screaming part going into it i don't want to handle certain things that is tough so anyway it's it's another step in the process and you know we don't really have to have a choice we have to embrace it because there's no one there by our, by our side to handle those affairs anymore so
1: Can we talk about special dates and how to get through them? The big holidays, the anniversaries, the birthdays, what helped, what didn't help?
2: I felt that at least the first year, more of the anxiety was coming up to the holiday. Like, oh my gosh, you know, so when Doug died in June, um, you know. The next year, you know, we have Thanksgiving, which is we always do a big Thanksgiving with Doug's family. So it's always a reunion in Missouri. So it was all the anticipation and the anxiety. The actual day of, for some reason, was because I had got myself so worked up, wasn't as bad. So I found that to be surprising. Um, and part of my preparation was I uh, we always had plans, like whether it was with the children or family. Um, you know, I found the silly ones where it gave me more of a punch was like something where nobody would recognize like a Valentine's Day. I don't know, but that was really bothered me to go to CVS and see every single Valentine card and, you know, or anniversary cards. When I was you know, going to a store yesterday and seeing, um doing something for a Get Well card, seeing the anniversary cards right next to it. And it's going to be my 40th wedding anniversary in May. So I have my anniversary. I have my birthday, my kids' birthdays duck's passing. It's all this stuff in the engine. So it, it's all those little things that are more anxiety provoking. But for me, it was getting through them was never the big problem of the day. It was more of the anticipation of the day and getting myself all worked up about that. Because usually for the day, I would have, I get comfort at it being around my family. So, you know, that was fun. And I, again, was very much protective that in a big setting, If I felt too overwhelmed, I would go into the room and be quiet for a while. So I took care of myself knowing that that's what I would need. Um, I just go back to the things that surprised me are the little things like Friday at three o'clock, because that was our time when Doug would end work, I'd end work. And, you know, as a couple, you really didn't have to worry if you didn't have plans for the weekend because you're with your partner. So all of that is more that I find myself shocked that that bothers me more than what I thought would bother me were those big holidays. Like, oh my God, how am I gonna do it without him? Because everyone, because you plan and because the norm is you're around people. And so that part, you're kind of protected in a way. You're kind of, the day after you might be shell-shocked, but the day of, for me personally, was never as hard as I thought.
3: I think that um, the first couple of holidays were hard. Thanksgiving and Christmas were particularly hard because it was the first. I agree, Susan, that it's the anxiety that leads up to the holidays is actually worse than the holidays because you're surrounded by loved ones, you know, family and friends. They're the ones that kind of get you through it. But the holidays themselves, weren't as bad. I think that that first year I pushed myself and said, I have to do this, I need to do this because there's, there's there's no other options here. What am I gonna do? Like, you know, ball up and push myself in a corner and just be sad, feel sorry for myself, have a pity party? Sometimes that happens, but, um, but you can't continue to live a life that way. And so I didn't. I try to embrace two dates, the anniversary of Frank's death and his birthday. And so what, what I try to do is um, I had him cremated. I have his ashes in a vase on my mantle And I take a few ashes out and put it in a little baggie and go to uh, special places that he and I either shared or that were important to him, most notably in his old neighborhood, Frank had been an avid basketball player in his youth. And so, you know, I went to one of the parks that he would play basketball when we were dating. I'd go watch him play basketball and spread some of his ashes I also quite honestly did that at golf courses. <laughs> and my goal is to spread ashes at every golf course that he played at. <laughs> oh, and if you find me in jail, please come please come I'll get me. <laughs> please come get please come get me. I I don't really care. It's important to me. So if I can do that, I feel better. I feel at peace and I'm able to feel like I've left a little bit behind.
1: You know, in groups, sometimes we talk about the things that people say to you that are not helpful. Do you guys want to share a couple of those interactions?
2: I really learned a lot with from my own grief. I've, I don't think I've ever said anything quite as stupid as what I've heard, but I'm sure I must have done certain things where now looking back that you would not say um i've had everything from an extreme to saying a friend of mine who was going through a divorce to saying i know i shouldn't say this the minute someone says i know i shouldn't say this they probably shouldn't or i know this sounds terrible then you just uh, say it so right at his at his wake she said i i'm almost jealous of you because um you know, at least you know that, Doug, you are—you had a good marriage. And so people see you a certain way. When me, they see me as a divorcee. And I'm sitting there. His body's right there. And I'm like, I don't even know where to go with this. The obvious ones, and I've heard a couple of times, hopefully, it, it didn't happen a lot. But, it, you know, at least he's at peace. He was in pain. I, I What I want to say is that, you know, well, you could switch with him. You take his spot. If he's in such a good spot, he comes back. You go. Because he's in a better place. I think people just, you know, don't know what to say. They think it's a comfort that you think your loved one is in a better place or is not in pain. There's, you know, I had people say, "Well, now this is your time to discover yourself and get a like." This is this is like you have. You're gonna be free now of all the caregiving and all the stuff you went through. And now you have time to rediscover yourself. Well, I don't want to rediscover myself. I would gladly take caregiver to my husband to go learn how to knit or play pickleball or play golf. I would that's I like I liked my didn't like my role. That's where I wanted to be. So don't tell me that now you have the time, now you're able to do all these things. Because that is not a, a job or a chapter that was my choice. I didn't choose to say, well, now I'm going to re-educate myself. So people try to give you comfort by seeing the bright side of things. And I think what needs to be thought of is that it's okay to just witness someone's grief. It is okay. It's painful. And we don't know how to do it. And are, are, People don't know. I'm very good at doing them, And I now know what I just zip it and let somebody cry. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to say, and I don't like when people say, I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? Um, Just let me be. Just come in, sit with me, talk about Doug. Talk about, let me talk about Doug and leave it at that. There's nothing else you need to do. And that's kind of what I've learned from the path is that you don't have to talk and you have to just witness.
3: Yes. I think that any conversation that starts with at least is destined for disaster. It's not an at least. At least he's not in pain anymore. At least he's in a better place. Those are the two most famous. It It's not, in at least conversation. So again, while people mean well, and I fully appreciate and love them for that, there are things that should not be said. I had one person say to me, so, when do you think you'll start dating again? Oh, good Lord, I haven't dated since I'm 20 years old. I don't know, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know that I ever will. Um, and what's very clear to me is that I'm not ready. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not. And and so hopefully one day I will be, but it's a brave new world out there. So the world of dating is, uh, is, is fairly foreign. Um, I agree with Susan. I think that, please just listen um, please just listen because sometimes all we need to do is talk, that's all. And sorry we're not trying to, you know, bore you to tears, but uh, I will freely talk about Frank or an event or we did this, we went here, um, you know, this is what he loved, this is what I love, this is what we love together. Uh, that, that's just not going to end because It helps. It helps me. Um, So share your memories. I'm not going to be sad. I'm
2: going
1: to smile. You know, sometimes we talk about grief as a learning process, right? This idea that grieving just means changing the way that you bond or that you continue the relationship with your loved one, right? And there are People who will write on a journal every day, right, to their spouse or to their mother, or they will talk to a picture or they will go to a golf course and and honor their memory in some way, right? Can you tell us a little bit about what those moments are for you? Like, how did you, what kind of, of, of things do you do to keep the memory and keep your connection with your spouse? Um,
2: I think that I I don't do anything that conscientious about that I'm going to do this. I know that we have planned of dispersing Doug's ashes and we will have just the kids and I, we were supposed to do it soon, which I'm just trying to get all my five kids in one spot to do it. Um, so that'll be kind of something where it's marked. I mean, I have masses said for him where I actually go. But I think for me is that, I wake up every morning remembering, like, it's not that I have to put something on a calendar or say that, oh, I'm just going to do this today. It's sort of like he is part of me, my soul. Um, Even coming into the city, um, our offices faced each other. So even coming into the city, I, I always, I always somehow link a memory to something I'm doing, whether it's going up to the lake or that I have to go to San Francisco in two weeks. I'll be like, wow, the last time i have been there was actually, and I go back and I'm like, Doug and I were here and this is what I did. And so I always link a memory to where I am always. So there's not one day where there's not, you know, like yesterday, mother's day, we went to a new place and I was thinking, wow, I was telling the kids during COVID your dad and I would, you know, be bored out of our minds and get into the car and drive through neighborhoods. And I think we actually went through this neighborhood. So I'm always bringing it back to, in my mind, whether I verbally say it to someone or it's in my mind talking to him that, oh, do you remember that we did this? Or do you think I should do this? Or I'm talking to a contractor today. I remember the last time we spoke to this contractor was five years ago. So there's nothing formal. It's just that he's always in my heart and soul, always in my memory. And I always link it back to him every day.
3: Yeah, I don't think there's really anything specific, but what I'm trying to spend my time concentrating on are the memories because it spans so many different facets of our life from when we were in our 20s, um, you know, from when, I mean, Frank had already been working in financial services when I met him, but I I hadn't even graduated college yet. And so, I was going into my senior year in college and then starting my career, which has now spanned well over 40 years. And to wrap my head around, I've got all those memories of all those phases of my life um, is what I'm trying to focus on when I remember Frank, as opposed to just remembering him in the recent path. Um, I'm trying to go back to the beginning, and remember all those times. And I think part of that is when I go back into his old neighborhood. And you know, we dated for seven years before we got married, so there was there was a lot of a lot of those years where you know before marriage, you know, we weren't we weren't living together. Um, you know, we were kids. So trying to go through that, I've also been going through all of our pictures. Uh, really, really, to organize, but um, you know, I'll go back to memories that I have forgotten. so I, I think that's that's what I do to try to uh, keep the memories alive.
1: Can you think about what you would say to yourself as a nearly bereaved person if you could go back in time and comfort yourself?
2: I think if I were to go back to this time 2 years ago when I was going through it I would say to be patient with yourself. I would say to I would always say to slow down like I said before, but I would also say that it's going to be okay. Because as Mary said, you're not getting better, but it does change and somehow your your body and your soul and your mind have come to a place of actually finding joy again. And it's surprising that back then, I didn't know if I would ever feel physically okay anymore. And if I were to go back to years and say to myself while I was going through this is that, you know, Susan, you're gonna go through this and go through it. Don't go around it, go through it. And you know what, you're gonna be okay. And that's what I would say to anybody. Again,
3: I think, I think I was on autopilot, you know. Watching, watching Frank deteriorating um, before my eyes, and it was COVID. So there was, he he was a huge worrywart. He worried about me more than he worried about himself. To the extent that he actually would say to me, "Listen, I'm dying, but you have to you have to protect yourself. You you can't be out there in the elements." And I'd, I'd be like, this man is dying, and yet he's worried about me. Um, I think I would have, having never gone through counseling before in my entire life, and and never really being, I don't wanna say not a fan of it, but didn't think that I ever needed it. I think that watching Frank, you know, you know, slowly slowly slipping away and coupled with the fact that it was COVID, um, I would have probably sought counseling earlier uh, because it really is a terribly alone feeling when I had some occasions where I could have, uh, you know, a few family members over, but by and large, it was spent alone. And, boy, that was tough. That that was tough. The cancer, the cancer process, is a really is really tough to witness. Every day. And I remember looking back. I took a picture of Frank ten days before he passed. I made the mistake of sending it to somebody, sending it to a friend of mine, and. You see somebody every day and you don't quite notice the the physical deterioration. But when somebody hasn't seen him in such a long time, uh, this friend was really taken back. And when I go back and I look at that, I'm like, oh, okay, now I understand. I mean, he looked horrible. He was skin and bones. And I wouldn't wish that on anybody.
1: about that
2: you think we should? I think we covered so many things that were that I hope help others. Um, but I, the thing I just want to emphasize, and I know we've talked about it, is that um, everyone's grief is different. And as much as you um, want to relate to other people and say, well, how did you feel? I, I found... It was daunting sometimes to hear someone having grief at a certain amount of years. And I'm like, well, that can't be me. I'm not going to let that happen because it could be scary too." to just know that if someone says something in their grief, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be your journey. And I think that was really important that I found very scary in some of the things that we discussed with other people in group was that I'm still XYZ and, I'm, and that would frighten me. Um, but everyone's journey is different. And your journey is something where you have to, and I'm not saying that you have a choice in this, but part of part of what I has helped me was that realizing that this is not a choice I've made, um, nor do I want, but it's a choice to choose happiness. And still allow the grief and not avoid it because that's something where it's not healthy. You can't push it down. You have to go through it, but you really have to choose. You could choose to like stay in your bed or you could choose to, like I would say, act as if I'm going to act as if I'm happy and, you know, I'm going to accept things. So I think that's very important. And for me, at least what got me through is I'm not like Mary. I never took to my bed. I'm not saying that I called her she had like a desperate to say that literally for three days, all I've done is stay in my jammies and eaten sugar. But, you know, and I've had those times and I've watched Netflix, but allowing yourself to have that time and also give yourself an end date with it. Okay. Well, this is okay. I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm going to allow myself to huddle in. And, but by Monday, I'm going to make myself even a nail appointment to get out of the house and physically make it happen. Cause no one's going to rescue you. It comes from yourself. You have to make a choice to how you're going to live the rest of your life one day at a time. And sometimes it even feels like one minute at a time.
3: My heart goes out to people that um, are in the situation that they're not able to get out of bed or not able to push themselves forward or not able to take that next step in their lives doing whatever it is, whether it's you know, moving or getting rid of the clothes or getting rid of the stuff. And as Lucia made reference many times, it's just stuff. It's the memories that are the memories and the memories will always live on. There are two things I feel very strongly about that I would really want to do and that is reach out to people um, that have specifically lost a spouse um, and knowing what I know now help them in their grief help them open up and talk about it because this this was so important to me um, through this whole grief counseling and It was hard when it was over and you knew it was gonna be hard when it was over. Um, But but my heart is full. And I want to be able to just extend that to people that are going down this path. The other thing I feel really strongly about is thinking about what is it that I'm gonna do once I retire. I would love to work with women and men whose spouse took care of their finances and helped them down the path of something as simple as, how do you pay a bill? How do you write a check? To me, that's so completely foreign. And I have to take a step back sometimes and think that um, this can be truly overwhelming for people because I've seen it and while I have a difficult time comprehending how that could be. The reality is, it does exist. Back to the division of labor: who handled the finances? Who knows, you know, where every, you know, where all the bodies are buried, um, uh, with respect to financial situations. I would like to be that person because um, it comes easier for me. Now, that's just. me one small component in life uh, but can be a very meaningful one to people that are totally caught off guard and totally unaware so if i can impart anything that i've learned
2: along the way here i would love to do that i think that's a good point i've I've said that to other people where i feel like the wisdom we've had you know, I even told a friend I'm like who's losing her husband. I was like, are you sure you're on the benefit like did you do this? Did you know this is how you do and not that you should take my advice as golden because I'm not a financial planner or just claim to be, but these are the questions you might ask your person. This is something I didn't know with probate that I had to do an inventory after 90 days. Like these are things why don't you have this? I even said that there should be like a group where you don't have to impart your finance, but you can just say, these are some questions that go to your attorney. This is a question that goes to your, this person. This is a question that goes to here. This is what I did. You check it. But did you know um, that you had to do this within nine months? And that don't, this is not me gospel, but check with that person. I didn't know any of that. and I think that's really amazing to have like something and some person that you can go to to say. Can you just give me the checklist? I'll go, but can I have the checklist? Because you have that nuts and bolts thing, and then you have that emotional support. The emotional support is very important, but you have to have the nuts and bolts. You have to, as Mary mentioned, very important.
1: Thank you, thank you so much. Thank Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Cancer Out Loud, the Cancer Care podcast. Cancer Care is the leading national nonprofit organization providing free professional support services, including resource navigation, cancer-focused counseling, support groups, educational resources, and financial assistance to anyone affected by cancer. You can visit us online at cancercare.org or call our toll-free HOPE line at 800-813-HOPE. That's 800-813-4673 to speak with a master's prepared oncology social worker.